I'm often asked this question. Can, a, can I be a Christian and not go to church? It's a question I get asked by a lot of people who have, for whatever reason. And here's the answer. Yes, you can be a Christian, but not a growing Christian. Can I be a Christian and not go to church? The answer is yes. But you cannot be a growing Christian. We need the body of Christ. Someone said it this way. Kent Hughes, who pastored the great church, college church in Wheaton, said of this. On the most elementary level, he says, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian, and you do not have to go home to be married. But in both cases, if you do not, you're going to have a very poor relationship. And this is what's so important. That's why I love the title that Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, preached in the 19th century about the church. Just what it is, and this was the title that Spurgeon gave to it, the church, the world's hope. I really believe that. I truly believe that Jesus left his church to complete his mission. I was reading about a brand new study that just came out from Harvard University, did a big study on church attendance, your health, and your marriage. This is what Harvard said. They said married couples who attend church together are more likely to live longer, less likely to be depressed, and less likely to get a divorce if they go to church together. I'm, just, I'm already setting you up why you should be in church. They said better health outcomes includes longer life, incidences of depression, and less likely to commit suicide. You have greater marital stability, and you will lower the likelihood of divorce if you go to church. Think about this. If you go to church, you live longer, you won't be depressed, and you're probably not going to get a divorce. The church really is the world's hope. That if you can go to what God wants, what God has established to be a place to bring growth and challenge and conviction, the great the great apologist Josh McDowell said it like this, when it comes to my salvation, all I need is Jesus. After my salvation, everything is Jesus plus his church. Listen to this. This is what he said. When people preach that all you need is Jesus after you become a Christian, they cut you off from one of the greatest sources of healing, which is the body of Christ. This is so important for us to understand. But in order to get the full effect of the body of Christ, we better make sure we know what the church is today. When you make the church something that it's not, then you make it ineffective. I've been getting, I have people sometimes that try to get in my ear, church strategists and people, and they're, they're, the big thing out now about the church is people keep telling me that people are not, go, or, or people go to church 1.8 times a month. They show up at church, so they go one Sunday, skip another. Go one Sunday, skip another. So they were giving me all of this strategy to say, this is what you're supposed to do for the 1.8ers, um, and so you help them that if they're not coming to church, you do this for them. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to realize, maybe you've diagnosed the wrong thing. Maybe you're trying to fix the 1.8ers where the church is the thing that needs the help today. Because if we are a place where Christ's presence is, where God comes and there's healing and God is in this place, can I just tell you, people aren't going to come 1.8 times. People are going to come to find freedom, deliverance, and that God is able to set them free. 
And folks, instead of going ahead and saying, well, you don't have to come if you don't want to. I, if you telling me, if I showed up at church, I'm less depressed, my marriage gets stabler, I get more happy, I get more joy in my life. I'm saying open up the doors every single day of the week. I want to be in God's house and I want to see what God has to do. That's why it's so important. So much of the church has gone into theatrics, running a showboat instead of a lifeboat, staging a performance instead of a living experience, a form of godliness while they did not, we have no power. I want the power of God to come and set people free today. I want the power of God to be here today. Let me just say this, what the church is not. The church is not I want, I, want to, I want to just say it the way it is, folks. This, listen, we've, we've, already, we've already done A and B, and it's already I'm in trouble. So let's just, we've only got 23 more letters to go. So by, by the time this is over with, let's see what God does. Number one, what the church is not. The church is not a nightclub. It's not to resemble a comfortable place so, every, so simply we can make it where it becomes an alternative. Let me say this. The church is not an alternative to a worldly lifestyle. It's not an alternative in lieu of your former life. The church is antithetical. It's the opposite. It's not a place to go that you, in a sense, just go, I go there and I get what I need. It's going there because God has changed our life. We're looking for people to come with gratitude to say, listen, I am here not for me, but because God is worthy to be praised and God is worthy to be worshipped. The church is not a hall of fame with perfect people where everybody bats a thousand. We all got issues. He tells me, they go, like, you don't understand, I'm from a dysfunctional family. We're all dysfunctional. <laughs> church is not a nightclub. The church is not a hall of fame. And the church is not a museum for us to talk about what used to happen. God is alive. His son is alive today. And he is on the move wanting to do something. The church is a hospital to get people healthy. The church is an army barrack to prepare you for battle. The church needs to be a school to instruct us. The church has to be a lighthouse in a dark world. The, try to, the church has tried to be so current that we become irrelevant. David Wilkerson had a prophecy about this church. He said the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, this church would become a lighthouse in dark times, that people would look to this. I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful that I want to be part of a place that is not simply trying to, to, trying to make people feel happy. I want to glorify God. The only person, listen folks, whatever I preach here, if you say yay and God says boo, let me just tell you something, I'm in trouble. But if God says yay and you say boo, let me just tell you something, then I'm doing just fine. All I want to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. Church really is the hope of the world. I was listening to a minister who stood up in a local, in a local meeting. He went there, it was a rotary club, to give a brief statement. They were going around the room and they said, okay, what do you do? And no one knew that he was the local pastor in his city. So he decided to have a little fun with this organization. He said, well, I'm with a global enterprise. 
We have branches in every country in the world. We have representatives in nearly every parliament boardroom, boardroom on earth. We're into motivation and behavior alteration. He says, we run hospitals, feeding stations, crisis pregnancy centers, universities, publishing houses, and nursing homes. We care about our clients from birth to death. We are into life insurance and fire insurance. We perform spiritual heart transplants. Our original organizer owns all the real estate on earth, plus an assortment of galaxies and constellations. He knows everything, lives everywhere. Our product is free for the asking. And it ends up like this. Our CEO was born in a hick town, worked as a carpenter, didn't own a home, was misunderstood by his family, hated by his enemies, walked on water, condemned to death without a trial, rose from the dead, and I talk to him every day. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's the church I want to be part of. I want to talk to him every single day. Church, the world's hope. In the four gospels, the word church came out of the mouth of Jesus only twice. Only twice. In Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And both times were in the context of a fight. Listen to this. He said that there are going to be two things, and I believe this. There are two things that keep people from church, and that's deception and offense. Deception and offense. Jesus was telling us that one will come from without, one will come from within. But listen to this. The two times Jesus uses the word church was in regard, in Matthew 16, that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But it was also offense that would take place in the church in Matthew 18, when all of a sudden brothers begin to bicker together against each other. Would right in this very place, and we'll talk about that in a few moments, he said, you'll find out that people will begin to be kept from the church from whether hell or internal struggles that happen between believers. Nothing, nothing delights hell that if hell can't get through the doors of these church, he's going to get you to argue with one another and set an own agenda and live under a deception that begins to come. And that's why Jesus was so important because the church really today has lost its way. A church... I was reading about a church that lost its way, but I, but I appreciated the story because it was a church that got honest. It was a pastor who was in Atlanta several years ago and noticed that there's a restaurant outside of Atlanta called the church, it's a restaurant called the Church of God Grill. He said the name just began to raise up his curiosity that he dialed the number and the person answered the phone, hello, Church of God Grill. So the pastor asked, he said, how did the restaurant have such an unusual name? And this is what they said. They said, well, we had a little mission down here and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills because no one was showing up. Well, people liked the chicken better than they did the service. So eventually we cut back on church and we began to ramp up selling chicken. And eventually we just closed the church and started to sell chicken dinners. And we just kept the same name, the Church of God Grill. Now, let me just tell you something about that story. If you're not going to be a lighthouse or a hospital or an army barrack, then really what he was saying was then you better just sell good chicken dinners. Because here's the part I want you to understand. I love the honesty of that place. Because if you're not going to do what God wants you to do, then I'm just telling you, then let's take the name church off our, off our, off our marquee and let's be what God's called us to be. Let's be. Because that's the question. What is the church? What is the church that God is calling us to be? In a, with a biblical worldview, we have to understand how important this is. Because when it's all said and done, I don't want our emphasis to be selling chicken. I don't want our emphasis to be anything else 
but what God's word has said the body of Christ, what the church is supposed to be. I want to talk to you just for the next few moments about the body, the bride, and the army. The body, the bride, and the army. I want to let the word of God to define what the church actually is. Nobody else but the word of God. In fact, we'll take it all from the book of Ephesians and add some other in there. Because in the book of Ephesians, it calls the church the body of Christ. Ephesians 1 and 1 Corinthians 12, we'll read some of those passages. But the church is also his bride. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 and Revelation 19. And then he calls the church his army. That's Ephesians chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 16. The body of Christ, the the bride of Christ, and the army of Christ. So let's go through this just for the next few moments and begin to see but the Apostle Paul begins to see what, we're, what, we, are, what we are here right, right now, what you are to be, what I'm supposed to be. Those that are watching, whether you're from Madagascar or watching from Ghana, whether you're from the Philippines or Hong Kong or Taiwan, or you're watching from Russia or China, I want to believe that the church of Jesus Christ is larger than a building, larger than a zip code, that they are the bride. It is the body of Christ, and it is the army of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, according to Ephesians 1 and 1 Corinthians 14. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He said, he, Jesus, put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's his body. It says, we become the fullness of him, who begins to infiltrate and fill everything else. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? In essence, in simplicity, you and me, we around the world, we are Jesus' hands and feet today. We are the extension of the head of the body, that the mind of Christ dictates where we begin to go. That's why unity, listen church, Unity is such an important word to the body of Christ. The body can't be effective independently. You can't do it on your own. Think of it this way. You ready for this? An airplane is made up. Here it comes. An airplane is made up of 100% of non-flying parts. Think of that. Some of you are going to fly out today. You have to understand those, those, those chairs on the plane don't fly. The, the, the carpet doesn't fly. None of those things fly. But here's what's amazing. When you begin to put them all together, an engine can't fly. But when it's put all together, it can lift 175,000 pounds off the ground when they work together. But if you put a chair over here and a nut and bolt over here, if you put a wing over here, nobody's going anywhere. But when you put those parts together, watch what God is able to do when the body of Christ begins to come together. See, the power of the body of Christ then begins to happen to do the unimaginable. This is what the Apostle Paul says when you try to separate the plain parts. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, For even as the body is one, but yet many members. And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, but so also is Christ. Listen to what he says. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body 
is not one member, but many, but it's bringing it all together. And here's what we have to understand. Listen carefully. You can't say, I love God, but I don't love the church. You can't say that. You can't. Why? Because you have to love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves his body. He loves his church. See, let me explain it like this. All you know about me is through my body, whether I'm speaking, where I go, how I conduct myself. You get to know me, who I am, through my physical body. See, the body reveals who the person is. And what's incredible is that somehow Jesus wanted the church to fulfill his mission. How does the world know Jesus? It'll be through his body. It is using everyone that's in this place. That's why the danger, listen, the danger is for any place, any church to exalt a part and not the person that we are wanting to exalt and lift up. The goal is not to exalt. We do this. We, we're known for this music. We're known for this kind of preaching. We're known for being in this location. We're known for meeting in this place. We're known for our choir. We're known for our denominational title. Folks, nothing, if you want to ground the church to never taking off, be known for a part and not for the person of Jesus Christ. Because it is Jesus that puts all those parts together. See, the body can't have its own agenda. The head is the one that teaches us to know him and to make him known. See, the body has to work together to be effective. When, so when one part, whether it's up here or in the choir or in this place, wherever you are, if one part sets its own agenda, something dangerous begins to happen. Listen to it. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were a hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or to the head, I have no need. We need each other to do what God wants us to do. That's what the body does. I mean, listen. It happens in the natural, and it happens in the physical. I mean, think of it, just, just if, if for a moment. If, if I was to bump my foot or my toe on the bottom of this metal base right here, my toe is not screaming. My toe is not talking. My toe, let me, this is what happens. Watch the body work. If I bang this, all of a sudden, my toe tells my brain, Tell your mouth to start screaming, help me, Jesus. Then, then my, my brain goes, tell also your right leg to get ready. Because more extra weight is going to be put on it because I'm going to make this leg jump around. So while you're holding it, hands get ready. 
because your hands are going to have to hold this toe while this leg is jumping up and down. So in order to do it effectively, you have to scream. These hands have to hold this part here and this leg has to jump up and down. So in order for me to stub my toe effectively, I've got to scream. I have to put all the parts together. That toe can't be independent. But in order for me to do what I'm supposed to do, we have got to join together and say, God, we are here to do what you want us to do together as the church, the body of Christ. Down the street, the Fordham grad and news anchor from the past, Charles Osgood, told a story of two ladies who lived in a convalescent center. Each of them suffered an incapacitating stroke. Listen to this. Musicians, listen to this. Margaret had a stroke that left her left side restricted. She couldn't move her left side. Ruth had a stroke and couldn't move her right side. And what's amazing is they were both accomplished pianists who gave up hope of ever playing a piano again. So the director of the convalescent home had an idea. He said, this is what I'll do. He said, I'm going to get Margaret to use her right hand to play the melody line. I'm going to sit them both side by side. You can't use your left, Margaret, but you can use your right. Play with your right hand, Margaret. But Ruthie, you know what? Your stroke took out the right side. So you sit next to Margaret and let your left hand start to play the bass line of this classical masterpiece. And so as they started to play Beethoven with two different people saying, I can't do it by myself, but if we do it together, we can begin to play something that it's impossible for us to do. See, folks, let me just tell you this. At Times Square Church, I need your help to win a billion souls. You need my help in order to be instructed through this word. See, what God is doing requires a symphony and not a soloist. We have to do this together because we are the body of Christ. Because some of you are gonna have days where the left side doesn't work, but you may be sitting next to a left-handed person that says, you may not work today, but my side works today. And because we are the body of Christ, when one falls down, we can pick up another. When another gets cold, we can warm them. I'm telling you, I am so happy, as the old song says, to be part of the family of God. Church is also the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5 and Revelation 21 tells us this. Now listen, I've, in 40 plus years of ministry, I've done a lot of marital counseling in my life. Why? Because when you sit two totally different people together living in the same house that are trying to change the other person, a lot of counseling in 40 plus years. Let me tell you the dumbest thing I've ever done in my marriage. Cindy and I have been married. We still laugh about it to this day. In fact, whenever we see that airport or see that restaurant, we laugh. We were married just a little under a year, and we were going through the Pittsburgh airport, and we stopped at Sabaro's Pizza. 
And I wanted to tell Cindy after 10 months of marriage everything she was doing wrong in the marriage. But I was a pastor, so I couldn't do it. But I came up with a plan. I was going to start with humility and say, Cindy, while we're here, tell me how I could get better as a husband, and what do I need to change? And my plan was this. If I asked her that, then when she was done, she would ask me. What could she do to get better? We sat down in Pittsburgh Airport. I said, what, do you, what could I do? And she had a list. She went down one moment. You got to get this. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And when she was done, she just ate her pizza. She never, she never, she never said, she never asked me what I, because here was the, this is what, why God is so good. Because I wasn't interested in changing me. I wanted to change her. That's what it was. And that's why it's amazing to me that God decides to call the relationship between him and his church a marriage. This is, listen to what he says in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. Here it comes. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself a church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That, that first part that says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Look at that on the screen for just a second. Every night, I pray those words over our marriage. When Cindy and I go to bed, we pray. And, and some of us forget, if you look at it, we forget the second part. Because I'll always go, Lord, it's the last thing I say with Cindy every night as we pray. Lord, help me to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And then she always goes, and? Every night. You can ask her. It's all true. She's probably watching online. I'm telling your business. And she just goes, and? And I always go, and gave himself up for her. Our selfishness wants to leave out the dying to self part. Because that's what that part is. See, let me speak to the men here for a second. Ladies, there better be a strong amen. But let me just tell you this. Because marriage on the husband's part is much most like a crucifixion. Because men in that verse are shown a cross and not a throne. Because some of you are looking for a throne of authority. And Jesus says it's found by dying to yourself every single day. So it's not going, I want to love you as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. God chooses to describe the relationship that he has with his people as a groom. Look at this. With his people as a groom and a bride. Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride. But here it comes. The only difference is that when that couple goes to counseling, it's the bride. That has all the problems. Let me just tell you this. this. You have to understand this. If Jesus and the church were about to go to counseling, the groom is just fine. It's his church that he's got to work. See, Amos says it like this. 
can two walk together unless they are agreed? See, in order for the church to walk with Christ in unity, they must agree with Christ, not Christ agree with you. It's not Jesus adjusting to your lifestyle. That's the danger that's happening. The danger is, is that if we, if we don't like what this word says, that if we don't like what the groom, Jesus, says, then we're given a cross to die. It's crucifixion. Listen, let me tell you, here it comes. Listen, I'm going to help all you married couples. This is, and it goes right for the church itself. I'm going to give you, after 40 years of marital counseling, get ready to write this down, the three top issues of marital problems. Here it comes. Three top issues. Number one, selfishness. Number two, selfishness. Number three, it's exactly right. Selfishness. It's people having their own agenda. And I think it's the same for the bride of Christ. Can you imagine if Jesus and his bride came to marital counseling? Because the issue is not Jesus, but the selfishness of his bride. Some people get so frustrated with the church and they want to leave the church for this reason. Here it comes. I have nothing in common with the people. Okay, and but here's the issue. But God does, and the church is God's thing, not yours. It's not your church, it's his church. He does not pre-select people who have the ability to get along and all enjoy the same thing. Why do you think they got saved in the first place? This is the church for goodness sake. If you knew the past of the person you're sitting next to right now, you would worship with one eye open and one eye closed. Just, just for a moment, just look at the person next to you and just raise an eyebrow. All you have to do. Thank God they're here. This is the best place for them to be. And you don't know what they used to do. If you choose a church based upon the people that you have stuff in common with, then you don't want a church, you want a club. That's what you want. You want to all ride Harleys and all to do fantasy football. But if you want a place full of sinners that are all messed up, welcome to the church of Jesus Christ today. Welcome to the house of God. That's what we have in common today. Listen, the church is not a natural community composed of people with common interests. We're a supernatural community that are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ Today, that's what we are. Now, if you want to know how this works out, I've got to show you this. This is where the church has to begin to go. It's not about me. It's about God saving people's lives. Listen, Matthew chapter 10 is the best way to explain how Jesus puts his bride together. I want to just, the way, in order for me to do it, I have to tell you the history of just quick history of two groups in the people of the New Testament. I want to tell you the, 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 the quick history of zealots and tax collectors. Let's start with tax collectors. The tax collectors in the New Testament 
were, were Jews who collected taxes from fellow Jews for the Roman Empire. They, they, not, they made a living by charging extra to their own people to, so they would pad the pockets of the Romans and pad their own pockets. So what was, what was, what was so horrible about these people, they were considered traitors. They're going, the Rome, Rome came in and took over and now you're working for them. They were considered traitors because they not only were taking the money from their people, but they were taking too much money and padding their pockets. Now the zealots were interesting. The zealots were the radical loyalists. They basically carried on terrorist activities in the name of religion against the Romans. And, and they hated tax collectors. So zealots were the terrorists, tax collectors were the traitors. Now, if you put those two together in a worship service, call 911. I'm telling you, it's not going to work. I want to read to you about a church. Ready for this? Jesus summoned his 12 and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. Heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Gets ready. This is, gets really good. Now, the names of the 12 are this. The first was Simon, Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Look at this, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew the, what? Ooh, traitor. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, get ready, and Simon the, are you out of your mind, Jesus? Simon the zealot, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Jesus puts a tax collector, and a zealot in the disciple list. Seriously? Seriously? Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Eugene Peterson, who did the paraphrase of the New Testament, says no Christian is an only child. So you can't pick and choose who you want to be on your team. What I love about Jesus is that the list didn't say Peter a fisherman, Andrew a fisherman, John a fisherman, Simon a fisherman, but chooses people who couldn't be more opposite together. Because our tendency is to hang out with people that we like and are like us. But God will put people that irritate you right next to you and sometimes in the same house that you call husband and that you call wife. See, that's how sandpaper works to get off the rough edges. You can't have two smooth pieces because nothing comes off. But take a piece of sandpaper, take someone who's all messed up, start rubbing those two things together, and all of a sudden something begins to happen. You don't grow by hanging out with people just like you. That's boring. Let me just tell you this. But like marriage, you are married to people that are not like you. Some of the marriages that are sitting here today, you got, you got Susie the tax collector and Anthony the zealot and put them all together. That's why, listen to me, let me tell you young people and let me tell you old people something. Young people, don't go looking for some young church to go, we want to get a young church because they understand us next year. Let me tell you, that doesn't get you, that doesn't begin to sandpaper stuff off. Listen, and you old people, I want to find where they sing the hymns. <laughs> all that, all that vagabond stuff and all that get up, get up, 
I don't understand that. I only understand the hymns. You know what? Yeah, go to a church like that, and it's just smooth on smooth. And all you next-gen kids, go to the church where everybody's ripped up jeans, skull caps, and all of a sudden have their things, and you're all going to look the same. And nobody grows in either place. The church has zealots. The church has tax collectors. Because it's Jesus' church and not our church. Hallelujah. Don't say... That person bothers me. You say that person sanctifies me. That's what they do. I just gave you something good to say to your wives. We are the bride of Christ, and therefore we need a lot of counseling. We're the bride of Christ, and we need a lot of counseling so the two can walk in agreement. You know what's amazing to me? Let me just quickly get to the final point, but before I do that, it's amazing when you watch a married couple who have walked for many, many decades together. Isn't it amazing when you watch them finish each other's sentences? Isn't it amazing when you watch them? They, they know what the other's thinking. They know what the other person is doing. It's just, there's something, because they're walking in agreement together. There's something that happens. They're in tune with one another's need. That's exactly what happens with a church that, is, that goes, we are the bride of Christ. We start to learn how he talks. We start to learn how Jesus thinks. That's what happens. Listen, listen to this. It's one of the most powerful verses of the bride in all of the New, in all of the New Testament, especially the book of Revelation. Listen to Revelation twenty two seventeen. 17. This is what it says. It says that the spirit and the bride say what? The spirit, look at that. The spirit and the bride say, come. You know what that's saying? That the church and heaven, here it comes. Put it on the screen. Thank you. The church and the heaven say the same thing at the same time when we're in a right relationship. That the church says, come, and the body says, listen, the last thing I want to do, folks, the last thing I want to do, I, don't want, I want to say what the spirit is saying. Not, I don't want to say what a formula says. I don't want to say what some strategists and gurus say or a denomination or some pastor that I've heard. I don't want to say and sound like, I want to say what heaven is saying and say it the same time heaven said. If heaven says come, I want to say come. If heaven says go, I want to say go. I want to hear what the groom says because we're not just the body of Christ. Hallelujah, we are the bride of Christ. And that's what God has called us to do. Let me close with this. Church is not just a body. If the church is not just his bride. But the church is his army. It's his army. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 1. We are the body of Christ. Fullness of him. We are the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5. That we are to love just as Christ Love that as a husband is supposed to love his wife, it's the same way that Christ loved the church, and we are his army. That's Ephesians chapter six. What Paul is saying is this: that the bride of Ephesians five has to put on armor in Ephesians chapter six. So as soon as you get, soon as you get married to Christ, don't hang out in that wedding gown. You got to put on the armor just as fast. So while you're going like, ooh, look at me, take some Instagram picture, you better get that off, girl. 
you better get on some armor at that point. You can, you can take about pictures for about three nanoseconds, and then you got to put on armor because it's a fight. I was reading about a pastor. As I was reading through Revelation, I was reading about a pastor who needed to put on his armor over his preaching clothes. It was in the second century. The church is Smyrna, the very same church that John the Revelator talks about. Smyrna, the pastor's name was Polycarp, who had to take off his priestly garment and had to put on the armor. The church at this time was going through terrible persecution. It was 156 AD. The emperor at that time was Tiberius, and this is what they would tell him. It was so criminal, it was so antichrist, and this is what they used to say. They used to tell them, and I'll, and I'll explain why when Romans 10, 9, and 10 is such an important thing, and it's always the C part, confess Jesus as Lord. The emperor Tiberius used to make the entire population come to one of his, his statues and sprinkle incense to him and say these words, Caesar is Lord. Kurios. That's what they used to do. That's why when the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, if you confess him as Lord, you're saying, I renounce any other authority except the authority of who Christ is. And Polycarp wouldn't do it. And even they said that many churches and many Christians would just come and just go, listen, it's just once a year. We could say it, but we don't mean it. We just throw it out there. We just don't mean it. Once a year, which once a year? We get the 364 other days to do it. So they gave him a chance to do this. Polycarp wouldn't do it, and so they gave him a chance. He was sentenced to die, but gave him a chance to recant because of the powerful church that Polycarp had. Listen to what Polycarp said. He said, for 80 and six years I've served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me and delivered me? They took Polycarp and brought him to the center of the arena, and they were going to burn him to the stake. They were going to burn him because he wouldn't take a pinch, a pinch. And here, you're, you're, about, you're about to go ahead and go after a man that already has his armor on. He's not there looking like some, some, some pastor. He has the armor on. Ephesians 6 armor is on. And he is standing there. And he said, while they were getting ready to light the fire, a church official, I'm going to read it to you, stood up and said to Polycarp as he's bound, Polycarp, from the church militant and the church triumphant, we excommunicate you. And then Polycarp stood, lifted his head and said, from the church militant, maybe, but from the church triumphant, never. This army of God is triumphant forever. This, you are part of that army. The church is trained to fight. We are his bride with armor on. Like Polycarp, we'll always be considered by the masses to be out of step with the culture. But here's the challenge. The church, don't miss this. This is so important. I have to read this to you as I wrote it. The church is trained to fight. Here it comes. And if you don't fight, choir, listen to me. If you don't fight the enemy, you end up fighting each other. That's the, that's the Matthew 16 and the Matthew 18 part that Jesus meant. Do you understand? 
The, the church has been trained to fight. And if we're not fighting the enemy, we turn on each other. You know what we become like? Let me tell you. Do you ever watch a group of Marines before they're sent to battle when they get a weekend pass? What do they do? They beat up each other. They get into fights with each other. Why? Because they're trained to fight the enemy. And if they're not fighting the enemy, they beat up each other. They look for, they're always picking a fight. And when we're not fighting against sin and we're not fighting against selfishness and we're not fighting against a spirit of this age and we're not fighting against lust in our life and we're not fighting against the chains that want to come and hold us, then what we do is we fight each other. We turn because we're trained to fight. We're not just a bride with a wedding dress. We're a bride with armor on. Jesus said this about the church. And he says it to Peter. He says, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, say it with me. I will build my church. Say the rest of it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, that phrase always used to get me because I, I think I just, I didn't read it right. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Because it's almost like, when you think about it, just think for a moment here. It's an odd phrase because gates prevailing, I think sometimes we get a, a misunderstanding. This doesn't mean that the church is invincible against hell's attacks, but rather the church is unconquerable. Here it comes. When the church goes on attack, Okay, let me explain. What Jesus was saying was, he was telling us, this is, this is an attacking, the church is an attacking force. It's not gates coming against us that doesn't prevail. It's the church. The idea is not that hell will attack the church, though it does, but that the church will attack hell. And as the church does, the very gates of hell will yield before an attacking church. Do you understand? What he was saying was, was when those gates go up and hell says you can't come in here. See, gates don't fight. They protect. The gates of hell, here's what I want to tell you, can't keep out God's army from infiltrating hell-fortified camps. He was talking about a church that's dealing with hell that has locked up people and keeps them in bondage. It's the picture of a city that has taken captives and its strong gates are meant to keep out those that want to come against it and bring prisoners out and set people free. And what he was telling them was this. This is a picture that is a church that's moving into hell's region, not allowing any gate to stop them from kicking that gate in and saying, if there are anybody in bondage or in chains here, you can be set free by the power of Jesus Christ. This is what it's talking about. The great commentator, William Barclay, said it like this. He says, there's never been a time where it's more difficult to be a Christian. And there's never been a time when it's more necessary to be a Christian. There's never been a time it's more difficult to be a believer. But it's ne there's never been a time, I'm telling you right now, that it's more necessary to be the bride, to be the body, and to be the army of God. And this is the challenge for all of us today. You know... That's why the enemy wants to come. My mom used, dad used to tell me when they, were, when they were going to Glad Tidings Tabernacle right across the street from Madison Square Garden, they would tell me the times that 
people of faith and faith healers would come in. My parents would tell me about the times they would listen to Smith Wigglesworth come in in the 1950s, right there on 34th. And this is one, something that Wigglesworth said, this great healing evangelist. He said, great faith is the product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. And great triumphs can only come from great trials. Which means the church has a great story to tell because we've been in some great fights and through Jesus have won the victory through Jesus Christ. How do you... How do you fight this fight? This is, where, this is where we close. Now you can play some closing music. Army of God music. Um, it's Ephesians 6. How do you win this fight? See, Ephesians 6 is considered the spiritual warfare chapter. It's the armor of God. But it has some interesting contrast that people miss. And this is the part I want to finish with. See, when Ephesians talks about that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. That's a contrast. That's a legit contrast. But there's a contrast that I don't want you to miss today in regards to the church of Jesus Christ. It's a contrast that we miss, and it's the contrast between a wrestler and a soldier. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. See, what we do is we're thinking, what we're, 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 what we're holding on to is we're going, okay, we're not fighting flesh and blood. My battle is not, is not the person next to me, but it's against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. All that's true, but look at that first part. We do not wrestle. Then look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. See, the contrast we forget is wrestler versus soldier. So Paul says in verse 12, we wrestle not. And then he comes back in verse 13 and says, take up the whole armor of God. You understand what he was doing? He was saying, he was contrasting wrestlers and soldiers. You know what a wrestler was in that first century? It was mano y mano. It was, it was a fight to the death. It was one individual against another. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. You're not alone. You're not a wrestler. You're a soldier. He says, wrestlers think, it's me against the world. I've got to fight. And he goes, you've missed the whole point of this. He says, you are a soldier, which means you fight together. It's, it's the picture where in, in that in that movie gladiator when Russell Crowe is in the Colosseum and he says what's coming out of this what's coming out of the, the these gates and this is what he says he says if you fight alone you will die but if we fight together we shall win it's a locking and what the Roman army used to do was lock arms and then move forward they would lock arms I mean think about this I, I wasn't gonna do Ricardo just come here I need you to be Satan <sighs> need you to be the devil. Yes, sir. So just, just for a moment, if, if this is my family, if this is my victory, Ricardo, how tall are you? Six five. Okay. I've got to preach the next service, so just... <laughs> but let's, let's say, okay, you got to take me off. So come on. Okay, this is me. Just push. 
what are you, like a, ba a baby? <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, get back there. Get Stay right here. Yes, sir. I'm not a wrestler. I'm a soldier. I can't beat him. Look at him. I can't beat him, but I'm not alone. I have, if, if I wrestle, I lose, but I've got soldiers. John, come on. Duran. And look at these guys. They're musicians. They're not even tough. Look at these guys. Here's, the, come on this side. I'm not a wrestler. We're soldiers. We lock arms. Now, come take me off my thing. That's, that's, that's the difference. We are the army of God. Stand with me. Come on. We are the army of God. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you today, I don't, I don't go to church. I'm the bride of Christ. I don't just simply go to a church. I'm the body of Christ. I'm the bride of Christ. And I'm part of the army of God today. That's what we're called to do. To see anything else is such a lower view of the church. I don't want a club. I want to be part of an army. I don't want a club. I don't want people to look. I want to be part of zealots and tax collectors all being changed by the power of Jesus Christ. I want to be part of a place that says the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. I want to be part of a place that says hell, you're trying to deceive me about the church. A fence inside the church is trying to rock my world. I want to be part of the church triumphant. I want to be part of the church that is not going down, but a church that is going up by the very grace of God is able to do that. I, I just want to ask as we close today, listen, as we finish out, let me just say this to you. There is a, there is a verse that I just have to tell you before we close in prayer. Can we, let, let's do this for just a second. I want us to be an army today. So, so, so listen, I know you may be next to a zealot. You may not be next to a tax collector. Just, just look straight ahead. Don't even look at them today. Just Here's what I want you to do. I want you to lock arms with somebody. Just maybe even reach across that aisle. Go ahead. You can reach across that aisle. I want you to grip hold of them. Okay, look at the person on your right and your left. Just say, we're in this together. We're an army. Just say, we're in this together. Can I just, I want to pray for you as the army, balcony, main floor. You may just be, listen, you may be watching right now in the UK and there's only two of you. That's okay. You could still beat Ricardo. So you just have to understand how important that is. As you lock arms together, you lock those arms. Father, we are your army today. This is the body of Christ. Come on, tell them. Just begin to pray right now, church. God, just, just tell them. Just say, we are the bride of Christ. We, we are a bride with armor on today. We are the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. God, I pray you take this army. I pray that the gates of hell shall never prevail against this place. But God, we're moving. We're moving towards enemy-fortified areas where gates have been set up and prodigals are stuck and in chains where people may be sitting in this place that are chained to an offense, chained to a betrayal, chained to something that happened to them in the church. We knock down those gates.
gates and we say, be set free today. Be set free today. Be set free in this house today. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And we are the army of God. And so God today, break through right now as we lock arms. I pray that you break through right now. Someone who's in trouble, someone who is locked up, someone who is in bondage right now, set them free right now. Set them free right now. Okay, as you unlock, unlock those arms, let me just say this. I feel passionate about this today. There are some people that are sitting here today, I'm telling you. Hell has deceived you. Hell has deceived you. And to take away the bride, the body, and the army, and it's trying to set you by, and you're going to sit there like a chair on a plane that can't fly. But God goes, I'm putting you in the body. I'm putting you in a church. I'm putting you with part. And when he can put all those parts together, when he can put all the parts together up there in a choir right here, it says there's liftoff that can take place. But you can't, listen, let me just tell you this. You can't, Vicky, Elder Vicky can't get, she can't get lift on her own. You can, Duran, John can, David, I don't care how good you guys are. You can't do this by yourself. None of us can. I can't do this. I'm so grateful. Listen, you can't hear me if I don't have these guys over here on the mic and Juan back there moving those levers back and forth. And that doesn't happen. Liftoff comes at that point. But as soon as we break rank and go and like, I don't need anybody, watch out. Because you're going to have to call for the army to come in. Kick down some gates and go, we're going to rescue you. That's what the army of God does. Breaks down the gates and rescues people. And some of you today, I'm just telling you, you are in the right place today. You're in the right place today. I, I, I'm not going to make this. I already made it long enough. So here's the deal. You're not part of a bride. You're not part of the body. You, just, you think I'm in a church. Here's what the Bible says. Listen to Revelation. And then we close. I think I've said we close a lot, didn't I? You know what? You, you could go three times, three times. So he's, he's kind of, but Lord, I release that offense right now over you for right now. I release that offense. Listen to Revelation 19. John says, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. That's the army. The sound of many waters, the sound of many thundering, saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give him the glory. Here it comes. For the marriage the supper of the Lamb has come. And her wife. That's the bride. That's the body. That's the army. The bride has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true saints. Let me just tell you something. You don't get there unless you're part of the bride of Christ. You don't get there unless you're in a relationship. The bride of Christ means I have a relationship with Jesus today. The bride means I've stepped in. You don't accidentally get married. You have to make a decision to walk down an aisle, put a ring on a finger to get a priest and set everything up. You don't just go to church and leave and go like, oh, I'm married, I didn't even know. We were just sitting together. That doesn't happen. That's what Tim said, lock arms. So, hey, babe. That doesn't happen. There's a process. 
Here's the process. You don't become the bride because you showed up today. You don't become the bride. Listen now. Listen, Ghana, you don't become the bride just because you watched. You have to make a decision today. I want him to be my groom. I want to be his bride today. I want Christ in my life to change me from the inside out. You don't get to that marriage supper of the Lamb by just showing up here. It's by making a decision. I want to be in a relationship forever with Jesus Christ today. That's the way it happens. Every head up, every eye looking around Annex, wherever you're watching, whether it's in 205 or the main room in 201, wherever you're watching today around the world, around the country, New York City, if you're here today and just say, Pastor Tim, I've been in church, I've been a part of a denomination, but I have not been his bride. And today, I want a relationship with God. I want God to come and change me from the inside out. I want him to be my groom. I want to be his bride. I want a relationship. I don't want to be known as someone who goes to a church, a mosque, a, a, a synagogue. I want to know that I'm in a relationship because he invites his bride to that marriage supper. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to be part of that. I want a relationship with God today. I want to, like Jesus said, I want to be born again. Because who are those people in heaven? Here it is. No man. No man can see the kingdom of heaven. That's where, the, that's where it takes place. That's the restaurant. You can't get there unless they are what? If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to be born again. When you pray that prayer, I want to start that journey with God today without any hesitation. Balcony, main floor, if that's you. Hold up your hand as high as you can. Hold it up as high as you can. Keep them up. Keep them up. Over there, over there, over there. I got you back there, back there. Keep them up in the back. Balcony, keep them up. Balcony, I see you, I see you, I see you. All the way back there, that whole row. Keep them up. Online, just type the word decide. Come on, let's all pray this together. Come on, everybody here, say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. The Bible is my guide, and heaven is my home, in Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.